less stress, more time, more money. Welcome to the Cash Flow Contractor. Deep Dive. Martin, it was a really fun, exciting, spectacular three weeks for me personally. That ended in disaster. I wouldn't say it was no, disaster. It's, disaster. it's it, it, like many British people would say about um, maybe anything, but especially football or soccer. Um, it's the hope that kills you. <laughs> Ted Lasso says that. Yeah, well, yeah. they say it in yeah. Ted Lasso, but it's definitely right. a British saying. Right. And man, uh, the World Cup was fantastic, and it's still going on. Final this week. When this goes live, it will have been done. It'll either be France or Argentina, but I was very hopeful that it would be Morocco. And it was the first time in my life, you know, you usually choose your team. I mean, obviously if you grow up in New York and you're a Yankees fan, you chose your team, but you're from New York, but it's not the same. Um, I didn't choose Morocco as my team necessarily. You know, I was born into it. And, uh, you know, my dream as a kid was always to play for the Moroccan national team and take them to a world cup because 98 was the last time they had qualified and sure I, I probably watched that but i wasn't old enough right. to really get it and then they didn't qualify again until 2018 and so last world cup was the first time i got to celebrate them and it was special but they didn't do that well um and both in 2018 and 2022 they were in the supposed group of death where you had some of the best teams all in one group and it's really hard to get didn't out really didn't make it out but right. yeah they uh they they won their group first african team to ever win a group um so they got out first only two teams go out for those of you that don't watch soccer but uh then they went on a run they were the first african team to qualify for the semifinals did i read correctly that france was the first one to score on them uh yes correct so they, so they scored were, on themselves against canada it was a oh, fluke well, goal yeah i saw it read the first opponent to score on him, which implied yeah. there was an own goal. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was the ball was going this way, and the goalie was going for it, and it, it the defender tried to clear it for a corner. It went off his shoe and just trickled in. Own in. goal. Yeah, own goal. But it wasn't going in the goal. That's why they call it that, anyways. Um, yeah, they they did, they had a fantastic performance, and it's really interesting. Uh, we getting a little bit political in some ways, but colonization of of places mm -hmm. the idea behind it if you boil it down is let's go and get more resources and the best resources from other places mm -hmm. right france colonized morocco in, in the 20s uh 1920s really um, and recently yeah and then in 56 they independence. gained their independence again um but with soccer that's so true the best resources i mean if you look at the french team there might be three or four guys on the roster that are yeah. quote unquote well, we would French. think of as yeah. as Gauls. Uh, every other person, <clears throat> their parents were born somewhere else, right? You know, and some of them were even born elsewhere than immigrated. Um, and it, it's just crazy to see, you know, as a as a kid grow, growing up for those players, they had the choice to play for France or from where they're culturally their parents are from, and a lot of them chose France, um, but elsewhere. Uh, you know, some of the players in the Moroccan team were born in France, but chose Morocco to play for. And so it's big, it's big in its impact for those decisions that kids have in the future 
of do I want to play for France or wow, it's actually, I, I don't, I have a chance. I have a chance if I play for my country to, to make it far. So it's really big in that, but also France historically, Morocco has played France six times in their history, but all this was the sixth time. The previous five, they were never against the French A team. They were always against the B team because it was a, a rule in the French that they wouldn't stoop down to play a, a former colony. And what's Whoa. fascinating is Tunisia was in the group stage with France uh, in the World Cup. And they're also a former French colony. And there, it was the last game of the group stage. And by that point, France had already won the group. And so they played their bench, started the game, and played the game against Tunisia. Sure, to rest players, it makes right. sense to do that from a coaching standpoint, but it was also... An insult? In, in some ways. Right. So this was the first time Morocco had played the French A-team. Really? Yeah, in, a lot of history. Right. So no, it's kind of fun. I'm a, a American football fan first, but <laughs> coached soccer when you know when the kids were coming up yeah and really appreciate it it's really it's a fun game. I, I enjoy watching yeah i i gotta tell you though i do not understand you know the philosophy and the plays and sure i'm going it's just a bunch of guys running around i mean and i know it's not but i do not understand it all yeah i mean play back and then i guess i mean it, it's it's not different than than other sports like even football well, i mean football's got set plays every sure but the the philosophy behind it is okay are we gonna you know cover zero blitz as a defense right. or no, right. are we going to cover two, drop everybody back just to make right. sure that we give short plays. No difference in soccer, right? Morocco in many of their games played that cover two, essentially where they just dropped everybody back. Hey, yeah. Try to throw the ball deep. Try to, right. try to give it. And then the idea the is if you do get it out, you've got a thin defense. You got to, yep. it's one-on-one -on -one or yep. two-on-two, something exactly. like that. Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, it, it's the philosophies are still the same. If you're watching, it's just a little bit harder to understand. Because you don't watch it every day, but well, I have to say I'm for Lionel Lionel Messi. Man, he's spectacular. I mean, he's so much fun to watch. Yeah. Just. Well, I had to at least hey, rant. Homage. I had I had to get it out somehow, yeah. and why not get it out on the podcast? Right. Um, we're talking about the end of 2022. We're sitting here on December 15th. Um, this probably will go out right towards the end of the year in a couple of weeks, and 22 is a good year. We finally got out of COVID. Um, what what else has happened? I mean, interest rates have soared. Right. It's been a good year for some of us, and for some of us, it's it people who are uh, subject really close to the effects of interest rates, like mortgage lenders and home builders, and I don't know about cars. I do know about mortgage lenders and home builders, <laughs> and they're suffering the effects of that. Yeah. Um, so for some people, they'd say it's not, but... Um, it just appears that it has been a really good year for a lot of people. I mean, from my experience with my clients, people are doing pretty well. Yeah. No, I think... Did pretty well. I think that it was the first full year that we were like, okay, right. we're not in pandemic anymore. We don't have to worry about that. Um, I think that a lot of builders, a lot of construction companies had should have had pretty good years, especially at the beginning, because there was a lot of demand. Um and probably had new challenges that they never experienced before, but also hit new milestones. Well, one of the things I read in the Wall Street Journal this morning was uh, one thing I like about the Wall Street Journal is it's definitely a conservative opinion page, but they put 
George Soros on there. And They'll the, put anybody. The governor of New York, that lady. It's my favorite Huckle. newspaper by far. Well, it's, I mean, it really does. And when they gave a half page to Janet Yeltsin, uh, Treasury Secretary for Biden, and she was saying how Biden's, all his plans have recovered. I mean, she, they let her say what she wanted to say, but which, which I appreciate because we can yeah. read, read that and I, there's not somebody yelling, no, you idiot. You know, you read what they, and they have to have spent time. Yeah. Anything can come out of your mouth as I hear all the time when I listen to our podcast, so what, you know, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> but if you take the time to write, it needs to be what you really think because you do have the time to form it. And, and so I love to read what people of other opinions say in writing. I don't want to listen to them. Yeah. I want to see what they said in writing. But one of the facts that she put in there was that there are no ships standing out to sea on the California coast, Long Beach and Los Angeles and Oregon, that they've cleared a hundred ship backlog. Is that right? Yeah. Well, I mean, Janice Sheldon said so <laughs> this morning. So, you know, and we are seeing the uh, supply chain issues clear up some. I don't think uh, among my clients that the pricing is returned to normal, whatever the heck normal is. Yeah. Return to pre-COVID, but it's at least stabilized and some things are coming down. And I really was very surprised to see that uh, 100-ship backlog standing out to sea outside the coast waiting to unload is being cleared. Yeah, so, that, that's a huge deal. I think one of the another thing that happened in 2022 that's a benefit of that supply chain disaster from the pandemic is that a lot of people brought their manufacturing back to the U.S. Right. There, we were just talking the other day about a um, local company here called Symbol Modern moved everything from China right. to Oklahoma City, and they've got their own factory, their own machines, producing everything here. And I think that's going to become an advantage as you know. You see the tension with Russia right now, and even with China and the Taiwan stuff going on. Apple's announced they're bringing their right. semiconductors, same company from Taiwan, but they're going to be doing it in the U.S. So, I mean, I think that's a good thing for this economy, for the people here. Um, it's always, in my opinion, good to have your manufacturing local. Not always, but it, well, it's... it's <clears throat> That's a that's a really good thing. There, there's a book called The End of the World is Just Beginning. It's a bestseller. And you, uh, you it's you got a lot it. of, pardon? You hated it. Well, no. the <laughs> guy didn't agree. I mean, the guy's well read and he, and he has so much information in there that you, you can't independently verify it. I mean, I, I like to see things where somebody said something, I'm kind of, you know, I've, but there's so much in there. But one of the points that he makes, which is, obvious to anybody that looks is that we are a global economy. Absolutely. And very few places, and the United States is one of them, if we ceased being global and had to do everything ourselves, would have the depth and breadth of talent, people, and resources to pull it off. And we're saying that we're one of them. Let's take a place like Singapore, and I don't know which where it ranks in economic right. prowess, but it's way up there, and it's yeah. an island. Right. I mean, if we see global they're trade, screwed. they're toast, you yeah. know, like that, that afternoon. And so we are global, um, shipping. Matter of fact, you know, we're talking about reflections, but well, we'll reflect on some of these things. The container, yeah, the 20 foot by eight foot by eight foot container 
that enables shipping, you know, whatever you put in there that weighs 40,000 pounds or less, it's five, well, I don't know where it is now. Used to be five, $6,000 delivered from China to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Right. Went to $25,000 during the snafu, but that just revolutionized everything. Uh, freight went as an average, I'm going to just pull these out. I'd have to go read the book, but being about 57% of the cost of anything you bought mm. down to about one to 10%, mm. right? And what prompted that discussion is that bringing things back um, can be good. You you want to balance the economics of sure. having it done somewhere else and cheap freight versus the security of having it doing it all yourself. Well, the threat to the shipping, matter of fact, the guy in his book, The End of the World is Just Beginning, he says, we will have peace as, until they start blowing up some containers. Mm. He said, you disrupt that. I mean, that's kind of one of his major premises, premises, whatever the word is. Um, is if you start interrupt shipping, that's when things can really fall apart. So you're uh, saying if also, we do if we do more manufacturing here, that hurts our relationship with China? No, no, okay. no, no. I'm saying that if somebody goes out and shoots missiles uh, and blows up a bunch of containers and that becomes a serious threat, then we're in big trouble. Gotcha. Moving it here, um, again, there's an economic reason we're in China. Moving it here, we're going to abdicate that economic reason in exchange for security. Right. Okay, so those are the balances you make. If it were truly a free, completely no threatened free world, we'd be manufacturing all over the place. Yeah. And it'd be according to economic indices rather than what's Z going to do and are they human rights and all that. The real world, all those complicating matters are in there. I want to lay out one other fact because it was awesome. Okay. So irrelevant, but it's awesome. <laughs> Trans-Siberian Railroad. Okay, it goes from east or western Russia to Vladivostok, but you know that's a big deal for Russia. Yeah, gives them access to to uh, the Pacific. One of these super container ships. I don't remember what they call them, but they're the really big ones. Right, hauls more freight in one load than the Trans-Siberian Railroad hauls in a year. Whoa, yeah. that's wild. Yeah, so little things like those containers that you see going down the road on the back of a semi or loaded on a train or... if It you came see, from a ship. <laughs> yeah, it came from a ship, and it's just, they're, what are they called? TFEs, 20-foot equivalents. All freighters just bid that way. You can be yeah. bringing over Mercedes-Benz from Germany, a couple of them in a container, or which I don't think they do, but you could do that. Or you could be bringing over party fans to a <laughs> party city, you know, made out of paper. In that's China. crazy. It just costs 5,000 bucks. That's so, wild. Anyway, that's pretty. So remote. interesting. So we're talking about year end review. We've talked about world cup. We've talked about some global and national things, uh, for 2022 and beyond, but we are business owners. We are operating companies with people, with goals and objectives and accomplishments. What does it look like to do a year-end review, and why is it important? I'm, I've got my answers, but why do you think a year-end review is important? Well, it's exceedingly important. Matter of fact, not just year-end, but periodic, but certainly at year-end. I, I kind of equate it to going to a gym, right? Mm -hmm. You walk into a gym, and, and you actually continue to go to the gym. Um, a year later, you are going to look different, 
be different and you're going to be able to lift a lot more weights. But you will not realize it because it happens so gradually. If you don't set benchmarks like how much weight could I lift, how much could I deadlift when I started, what I deadlift now. You know, maybe you take measurements if you're vain or whatever. But it's you, you have to look back and see that you've accomplished something. It's exceedingly, well, it's a Sisyphean task, Sisyphus, pushing a rock up a hill and have it roll back down. And you can just, it'll, it'll just wear you out if you can't see visible progress. And if you don't sit down and pay attention to the things that you've accomplished, you don't see that visible progress. So, I mean, th- to me, that's why it's massively important. And I try to do it with, with all my clients Yeah, uh, periodically. Yeah, I totally agree. I think quarterly is is so beneficial, but even just the the practice and habit of journaling regularly is a huge benefit. I, I'm going to butcher the thought, but if you don't reflect on it, it didn't happen. It's kind of like if you didn't measure it, right? it didn't happen. Um, but also, you don't learn it from it. There are so many things that we go through in our life, and if we don't take time to just reflect and think about um, the things that we experienced, what they meant to us, the lessons we learned, we don't retain any knowledge from it. And we aren't able to be intentional about moving forward because we're just, we've all been in that rabbit or what uh, hamster race, just on the wheel, just going through it. Right. And at the end of the day, like you've got to step off and make sure that, Hey, is this still worth doing? What do I really want? Uh, what am I learning? How am I growing? Am I achieving my goals? And also not just reflecting on it, but what are you, um, what are you pacing with? Meaning, what are you keeping on pace with in your day to day? Are you keeping on pace with someone that you want to be with a company that you want to be? Or are you going in a direction that you actually shouldn't be and taking that bird's eye view of, Hey, Am I on the right trajectory for what I want for the next 20 years, 30 years, like long-term? Is this, am I becoming who I want to become? I think those are all good questions to ask on a personal level. <laughs> but even from a, from a business level, I think the year-end review is not just helpful for you, but it's so helpful for your clients, for your employees, for your vendors to help them know like, hey, we're achieving success. This is what we're going to be working on moving forward. It just gives a new sense of purpose and helps align people with who you want to be and where you're going. Um, what are some, do you have a structure at all for a year interview that you work on with your when, clients? When I work with my clients on a structural review, I keep all my notes in paper in three ring notebooks, as you're very aware. I don't do them electronically just because I can't keyboard fast enough. <laughs> but I go back through our notes and look at the things we were talking about to kind of back up just a little bit when we're working with people when i'm working with people you and i we had a a common client here just a couple of days ago and we're talking about all the what ifs and the possibilities and where we want to be and finally i saw her head explode how am i going to do all this yeah and we both were in the same (laughs) philosophy because we said at the same time one thing at a time yeah and so I like to to talk about those things so people kind of stretch the spring, you know. It doesn't go all the way back uh, so that we can see these things, but it's of necessity. We have to reduce it to one thing you can actually do. You're still doing the day-to-day and all that, but you're making progress in one area. 
And if what I try to do is record what those priorities are, those one things we're trying to do, and then we can go back and look. I have in front of me a client, and there are probably 35 things here. They're too small for me to read without my glasses. But it was all the things that we had decided on and or done. And deciding to do something may not be finished. For example, they were going to build a building. And at the time I wrote this, they had just decided to do that as opposed to continue to lease. Uh, it is now done. Uh, this is a year old. But they had decided. They would committed to make that decision. And a decision is a great thing as well because now it determines your course. Yep. And you, you have something to do instead of just analyze all the possibilities. I've made the decision. We're going to do this. And so <clears throat> there are areas. Um, you and I talked about it beforehand. There are financial things. And, of course, I'm going to bring up financial things, <laughs> right, or we are going to. But one thing I do, let's take a company that's five or six years old and doing $8 million in sales. Right. I love to ask the owner, what would, have, what would you have thought were fantastic sales the first year you went into business? And I'll hear, oh, man, I thought if I could get to $100,000, I'd be rocking the world. <laughs> you say, well, you're at $8 million now. What do you think is coming up next? Well, if we could get to $10 million, <laughs> right? But it changed so gradually, gradually that they're doing five times per month what their previous goals were. And sometimes it's worthwhile to look back and realize that. Yeah. Because you can take some pride, I guess, or a sense of accomplishment, whether it's pride or not, from having accomplished things that fires you up to go forward. So they're in, I think, answer to your question, there are different areas. Financials, one. Uh, the time that you spend in the business. One thing I like to talk to people are, what is it that's occupying your thought mm -hmm. right now? And is it the same thing, like receivables? <laughs> is that the same thing you were worried about a year ago? And if it is, then we need to work on that. Because if you're working on the same problem year after year. Then you have a bad business coach. Yeah, <laughs> and that's a distinct possibility. But um, so it's kind of to take stock of what am I worrying about now? What was I worrying about last year? Uh, if you do journal, journaling is beyond beyond explanation helpful. <laughs> yeah. It's just really hard for people to do. Uh, I don't journal regularly. I do journal anytime we travel. I just, in my iPhone, yeah. I take notes. Everybody who travels with us is emailing me back. Hey, send me those, send me those. And there are all these things I forgot. Yeah. And they were in the wrong order. Here's something to think about. All the founding fathers, all those people were exceptional writers. Mm -hmm. That's because they didn't have television. It's because they didn't, well, it's, they didn't have television. <laughs> they didn't have light either. They didn't have phones. Right. You couldn't have a conversation unless you were in person. And so many times they were in different states, different countries. They had to write. And man, when you read their writings of their letters, like some, sometimes you'll see like insults. Like I, so I'm reading Hamilton right now, the, you know, bi biography, you know, 1200 page biography of, of uh, Alexander Hamilton. Fascinating guy they would insult each other in some of the most fascinating ways and through writing. And it wasn't like, you're an idiot. It's like, yeah. Oh no, you got to weave a tail. Oh yeah. no, no, it, they'll, they'll, I mean, it's just exceptional. But anyways, they were great writers. And I think that it's a lost art that, and we, so, because we know so much about those people because they wrote things down, right. you know? Well, you know, that's a, uh, a, 
might, might be getting off topic here, but maybe we're just changing the topic of this. <clears throat> Reading and writing, okay? I am a voracious reader. Yes, you are. And I got that way probably because of my parents. I don't know. but Who were I've exceptional always, writers? And they were writers. And I value it. And I could not exist without reading. And so many people today don't. And I'm not casting a broad brush and saying millennials don't read. I'm talking about people that I coach. And I say, are you a reader? Yeah, no, I wish I were. Well, audiobooks, okay. I mean, I don't know if it's the same. It most certainly is not the same for me. Yeah. Uh, it is the same in what I alluded to earlier, maybe, in that when somebody writes or writes and then reads it aloud, so it was written first, you are getting their best shot at it. Yeah. E- even if it's not their best shot, you're getting, you now know, well, they're slackers, but they have to put, we, we talk about logic, you know, major premise, minor premise, conclusion. That's what I want to see. It, I think we were talking about Janet Yeltsin, Yel, whatever. Yelton. Yelton. You have to lay out your major premise. This, then this, therefore this. And you can read them mm-hmm. and you can follow their logic. You can look at the premise and say, that's incorrect or I suspect that. But they have to do that when they're just talking or yelling. The words are vanishing as fast at the same time they were formed. Uh, they don't follow. They're non sequiturs like I do a lot in these podcasts. I ramble yep. from one point to another. So reading, if you can discipline yourself, dear listener, to read yeah. and set apart, set an hour a day, uh, maybe at breakfast, and read or, or commit to read 10 pages a day yeah. of something. And if you don't, if you want books or things to read, please contact us because <laughs> well, we mentioned I about like two hundred of them. We mentioned five in every episode. So. Yeah. Now, I, I, to add on to that, and I think it ties in great with your end. You get they're getting your best shot at it when you sit down and you write it down and you read it aloud. So much of that is applicable to a year-end review for your business or a quarterly review for your business. Too often for a small business owner your head's just not able to sit down and focus on that because you've got a million things going on. But give it your best shot. Write things down. Write down what your objectives are. Read your financial statements, right? Make decisions off of them. Don't get lost. Or commit to learning how to make decisions yeah. off of them. But don't get lost in just a conversation that you had or a thought you had on the drive that you didn't really write down, like take the time to actually walk through a year end review. Yes, it can be a really formal process where you have like specific meetings with key people and all this stuff. Good for you if you have that in place. I don't think a majority of people do, but every listener on here right now is going to get slower because of the holidays and you're going to have an extra hour or two write down some questions and put bullet point answers below them and then read them aloud, share them with somebody so that there's some skin in the game a little bit that you've got to present it somehow. Right. And it'll make a huge difference. Well, let's give them some topics. Uh, You already mentioned one is financial statements. Yeah. So, so let's, let's lay out like a, a, an easy process you can go through. Right. And here it is. 
One, review your financial statements. Mm -hmm. Statement of cash flows, profit and loss statement, balance sheet. Review them. Have a conversation with, if you don't know how to make decisions off, if you don't know what they mean. If you don't know what they mean. Have a conversation yeah. with someone who does. Your CPA, mm -hmm. your business coach, whoever it is. Identify your key accomplishments. This isn't anything crazy. There's different ways to look at accomplishments. Uh, we can go through some of those in a little bit. It may be sales targets, products and services, launching or sales numbers, um, any other milestones that might be going on in your company. Next, look at what areas you can improve in, right? Whether it's financial, whether it's uh, processes, whether it's sales, uh, whether it's your team numbers, um, whatever it is, look at areas of improvement and then create an action plan. Choose the most important things in your business. Create an action plan that outlines the steps you need to take to improve, to do better, to reach your goals. Um, set goals during that time and deadlines for those goals as well as who is responsible for them. And hint, business owner, you're yes, at the end of the day, you're responsible for all of them, but don't sit here and set five goals in five different areas of your business and say that you're responsible for every single one. Make your company, your team members at your company responsible for different areas. Um, and then follow up and review those, not just annually, but quarterly. That's a simple five-step process. One, review financial statements. Two, <laughs> identify key accomplishments. Three, identify areas of improvement. And four, develop that action plan. And then five, review your progress. That's a, a general outline. Let's dive in a little bit deeper to each well, of those. Well, when you said it, one thing that is quantifiable, somebody can get their head around and actually do is I like to ask groups, what are some things that if you were better at them could help your business? And I will hear things like, well, because it's me, I don't understand my financials and how to use them. Uh, time management, getting organized, marketing, uh, how to write a good vision. Uh, they're just infinite number of, of HR, IT, what, these things that if you knew them, they would help you. And I, I don't mean that you do your books. I don't mean that you're the HR. I don't mean that you do your IT, but that you're aware of them and you can put those subjects to rest. You, you can hire a right. qualified person. Well, if you look at a year and divide it into quarters, there will be four of them. And if you take as a priority time management and you take January, February, March and make that your goal, I want to get better at time management. In this day and age, even with me talking about reading, how can you do that? Well, you can watch YouTube videos, you can attend video webinars, you can listen to audio books, you can actually buy a paper book. But if you concentrate for one month on getting better organized or better time management, you will be a different person at the end of three months than you were at the first. Then you can move on to the next, maybe some principles in the art of delegation, the art of hiring, how to hire people so that we have, we don't have all these problems of firing people, how to get better at that. Uh, that's something you can research for three months, but at the end of the year, you've done four subjects. You are in a different place than you were before. And that's something you can wrap your head around um, when you're planning for next year. What are some areas I need to get better in? And then go forth and just start Googling and you can come up with more <laughs> free resources. Yeah. Um, you know, than any time in the age of man. Yeah. I mean, so much of this, what we're talking about in the areas of improvement, so much of what we talk about in general in this podcast is around the art of discipline and just being willing to 
let go of some comfort, approach the challenges that are before you and have the discipline to stick at it. And it's no different with the things that you were taking the time to review your business, have the discipline to just sit down and do it. Um, and then continue to tell yourself, I'm going to be disciplined and focusing on this one area. Uh, I want to go into some of the financial statements, review your financial statements. What are some questions that you should be answering whenever you're reviewing these that as you, as a business owner, I'm looking over the balance sheet, statement of cash flows, profit and loss statement. What are some questions that I can be asking? Well, first thing, what happened to my sales? So it's change, right? From the beginning of the year to the end, which you're probably going to know <laughs> because that's something people look at. Right. What were my margins? What were my break even? Right. And what, how much do I have to sell yeah. to break even? Not only to make a, pay my expenses, but also to pay my debt service. Right. So you don't need to understand books. You don't need to understand accounting or anything to take that general information to know this is what I must do yeah. in order to break even or to meet my goals. Um, on the balance sheet, there's a lot to be learned if you're interested in it. But one of the most important things, I think recently we talked about working capital. Uh, if you walk into your business and you say, hey, I'm going to double next year. And, and you can. We have a client who certainly, well, we've got a couple who've done it. And we have one we were talking to recently can easily do that from the selling standpoint. I say, hey, do you realize you're going to have to have twice the working capital to do that because you have a lot of accounts receivable and a lot of uh, inventory. Um, so to understand working capital requirements. <clears throat> On the statement of cash flows, that always requires a little bit of understanding, but there's great information on there. It shows exactly where your cash went. The age-old thing that I'm always talking about, hey, you made a profit, but you don't have any money. Where did it go? And it'll, it will tell you exactly. Uh, tell you how much you took out as draws this year. Most people take draws that I'm familiar with, and they do not know how much they took. Yeah. And usually kind of surprised, right? Take a salary over here, and it's a minimum salary to please the IRS, and sure and, as they should. And then they supplement that with draws that they just take out as... I mean, yeah, it's usually like double their salary. Yeah, well, well, I mean, what, whatever it is, they don't know what it is. Yeah, and I mean, there to... are people who do, so I'm not insulting. I don't yeah. mean to be insulting. It's hard to keep track of, and it's on your balance sheet, but you can't really see it there because it's the total that you ever took out. If you go to the statement of cash flows, there's one line down there. It says owner draws or owner withdraws, however they title it, and that's what happened this year. Yep, or this quarterly year or whatever. And you can just look at it and go, wow, I took out 135000 yeah. Yep. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. Yeah. And you spent I, it all too. <laughs> yeah. And it's gone. Yeah. Well, so those are some, I, some I, things. And I think that there's all, always good things to be thinking about, like on the profit and loss, when you look at your expenses, for example, I would, you know, something that I did just recently is I tried to label things either, you know, great, neutral or, or bad. Right. And so I just look at some of my expenses with vendors, for example, um, you know, what am I paying to vendors to be able to do something? You know, how, you, you know, if you're looking at your materials, for example, man, I spent this much in materials this year. Is that a, is that a good amount? You know, could, could I lower that amount? Could I be doing better? How do you feel about that? Right. Um, looking at software is a big one. There's so many softwares that 
you buy because you think it's going to solve all the problems in your company, but then you actually never really logged in to use it or your team didn't log in to use it. Yeah, I have a client who uh, <clears throat> went through and did the subscription dump, 4000 bucks a month. Yeah, I mean, huge, huge amounts of money that you're probably wasting if you're, if you're not paying attention to those things. That's a great question to ask. Hey, can I get rid of any software? That's a Brian Tracy talks about, well, you're talking software, but just expenses in general. You go through, and we're talking mostly overhead here, uh, but you go through and look at it. And the question is, is not, should I get better at this? The question is, should I be doing this at all? Yeah, exactly. And one place that people hang up on that all the time is people cost. They've got yeah. people who aren't paying their way, but they don't, they're postponing or I, I hate to let them go. I haven't given them a chance. All those things are tough decisions. Yeah. But well, and, and that's the importance of a different type of year-end review or whatever is employee. <laughs> having employee reviews to be able to calculate right. those things, right? Um, another one to look at is advertising expenses. If you are advertising, what's your return on that? Are you happy with it? Can you cut any? It's a great question Should to be Should I be doing this? Should yeah. I be doing this? Yeah. Another one is clients. Go and look at your, you know, your yeah. income statement and see how much money your your clients are bringing in for you, your customers, and see if there's any that, you know, you can tell by just looking at that client list, how many problems are these clients causing me? And are is the money that they're bringing our business really worth it? Because <laughs> there are probably some relationships you might need to end there. Those are all good things that you can glean. There's even more, right? Oh, but yeah. those are all good things that you can just have a year-end review and, and discuss with your team, with someone in your company, or just yourself and list out some points that, you know, you're all, you're going to learn from your books. Yeah. Primarily. Right. Yeah. Books. I mean, everybody knows my position and yours on it. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're the foundation. They're as close as you can get to objective information. Yeah. They're, you, you can bid stuff with 40% margins Yeah, and you go look on your P and L and they're 25 or 15. <laughs> what the hell, you know? Yeah. And that's where management comes from. Why is it so much lower? Go find the reasons and start fixing them. And that's yeah. management. So, well, another thing to think about with that is, you know, should we be doing this at all? Go and look at your products and services on your income statement. Yeah. If you're categorizing things right, what is your best selling product or service? Yeah. What are your margins on it? What is your worst selling product or service? What are your margins on it? Should you be doing one of those things at all? Sometimes you may have this great selling product and it's because you are way underpriced. No, it, it, that's usually the case. The number one seller has a yeah, I mean they're exceptions. They're but exceptions. That's usually the case. Should we be we sell the most? And that's why you still sell them. Well, that's our biggest seller. I go, yeah, you got two percent margins on it, <laughs> and it's sucking up half your capacity at at the yeah, plant shop office. You also where. need to look at okay, do we also sell this other service to people who right. buy that? You know, that's another thing to think about. But you may need to cut that out, or you need to raise your prices, and that could be the single biggest thing that you could do in your right. company for a year, right. and you did it just because you did that year end review, right? Uh, and, and likewise, maybe you have this, you have too many services and products and yeah. so many of these ones are getting sold once or twice a year and you just need to dump it. You don't need it yeah. because it's wasting well, it your time. Well, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier too. When you look at that, you'll find lots of things. Yeah. Pick one. Yep. And resolve it. Exactly. Positive or negative. And then outside books. Um, yeah. So let's, let's go on to the key accomplishments. What are some areas that we should be looking for key accomplishments with? Well, one, one thing that time, team, or money are where most problems come from is what have you delegated? Mm. 
either to technology, a process, or a person over the last year that you're not having to do now that you were last year. Yeah. Those are major accomplishments. And they're a little mushy because sales, oh, I'm up a million dollars. You can see that. Delegating, you kind of got to think, well, I used to do that. Well, no, I've delegated that. Yeah. Um, so what have you managed to hand off as an owner or manager that you no longer have to devote your time to that frees you to do more owner or managerial type things? Yeah. So if you can accomplish that, I hired a project manager mm-hmm. or I hired a shop superintendent or I bought software that does my scheduling and I don't, I no longer need people, do, you know, sitting on a phone saying, go here and go there. Yeah. So, you know, to look what you've delegated is a huge um, milestone in most businesses. That's one of the things you want to accomplish almost universally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think even just... Just doing a quick, like, what were our biggest wins of the year? Maybe we got, we landed the big client. We got the big project. Maybe you got rid of the big client. Maybe you got rid <laughs> of the big client. Um, understanding, you know, where your losses were. You know, what did we waste time on? Where did we lose money? Um, you know, just understanding wins and losses is a huge one. Um, I think there's a really great guy on Twitter that we were looking at earlier, Sahil Bloom, great follow. He writes a thread a day, basically like an article a day on Twitter. Um, And he does an annual review for himself. So this is more personal, but I think it applies to business as well. There are seven questions that he asked. What did I change my mind on? Um, uh, What created energy for me? What drained energy for me? What were the boat anchors? And a boat anchor is something that slows the boat down. What were the boat anchors in your business that were slowing you down? Maybe it was a person... Maybe it was a, a service that you were selling that wasn't profitable. Um, you know, supply chain, supply chain right? Yeah. Um, what did I not do because of fear is a really good question. Uh, what were my greatest hits and misses? That's kind of the wins and losses. And then what did I learn? I think those are all great questions that can fall into the accomplishments category uh, in some capacity. And there's so many more. I mean, just go search Google for 10 or 30 year end review questions and you'll find some that'll help you get things started. But once you get started, it'll be pretty easy to get, keep the ball rolling. One, one thing too, this we're putting it at the end and maybe it would be the first, but what's your vision? Um, Mm. we talk about that a lot and people tend to think when a vision is something fancy, that sounds great, that goes on the website and that's great. If that's true, I mean, if it's true, Simple modern that you uh, yeah, discussed mentioned earlier. Yeah. was uh, maybe we can put the link to that video in the sure in the show notes. But this company has a video about their products. They make Yeti type. Maybe you already said that. Yeah, Yeti type hydroflask type cups. And there are Yeti and there are hydroflask and there are many others. But these guys have grown immensely. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons is that in their video they're talking about how they're helping people. They never even mention their product. Never. Talk about how much money they give away and how they take some of that money that they give away and they allocate it to their employees and their employees get to give it away. Yeah. So it's all about that. And they never even talked about their product in their promotional video. They're talking about why they want to be a great place to work. So if you've got a vision like that and it's real, if it's not real, you're just wasting ink (laughs) on your 
website. That's a joke because they're not really. <laughs> but you're just wasting digits, right? Yeah. Bits. Bits. One and what, ones and zeros. Anyway, lights. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, you're you're wasting your time, but you still have a vision of what you really want, mm. and it doesn't have to be the earth changing. It's great if you've got one. Patagonia, Simon Sinek, and his start with why and simple modern and all and change the world, all those things, that, that's Apple. If you've got that vision, that's great. It's got to be real. But you can still have a vision. And the vision is, I want a company that runs on systems. I want a company where everybody who works here loves it and wants to be here. I want a business that can run without my constant attention. Therefore, it's systemized. I want a vision that if I chose a, a vision for a company, that if I choose, I could sell it. Yeah. Uh, but you can have a vision for all those things that annoy you and drive you crazy. They don't have to be big, earth-changing, you know, grand visions, unless it's real. If it is, do it. Yeah. If it's not, most of us quotidian life walking around doing our same thing every day are not thinking about the lofty goal. Some are, we're thinking, I got to get through this, and don't I wish I didn't have that problem. You know, how, I want to attract better people. Those types of goals you can actually accomplish and you can figure out actionable items to begin approaching them. So have, revisiting your vision yeah. and making it less esoteric and more practical, like how would I know if I actually did that kind of thing? Mm -hmm. um, some people call that a mission rather than a vision, but, um, but you have that level of understanding so that you know what you're shooting for and it guides your decision is what am I thinking about doing today, moving me toward that vision, closer to that vision yeah. or off course from that vision. If it's off course, quit doing it. Yep. Yeah. Having that bird's eye view of just stepping back and why am I doing all this? Right. And am I doing it for the right reasons? Are we on the right track? Are we in line with our vision? So important. And that's, what's going to help you to identify really clearly identify the areas of improvement. And if you should actually be trying to improve something, because you can spend a lot of time improving processes and all sorts of things, but in vain, right? So understanding how it falls in line with your vision is going to help you. Hey, how can I get back on that vision? How can I succeed? It gives you that? something to measure your progress toward that. Vision. Yeah, for sure. So then you can develop an action plan. Obviously there's so many things that we want to accomplish. I'm a big proponent of, yeah, get all those things out, write, write them all down and have them written somewhere that you can go back and reference but then go and prioritize figure out you know start numbering in order you know find the top 10 things or 12 things even and then say okay out of these 12 what let's order these rank order these in terms of what's most important and then set a set a timeline for each one and focus on one at a time mm -hmm. and also delegate the responsibility to other people in your team if you can or outsource people that aren't on your team, right? And say, Hey, this is my goal. This is the priority. I need you to do it. Right. That's, that's my proponent. Anything else you have about developing an action plan? Anything that I have to add to it? Yeah. You, <laughs> you've got to schedule a time and actually do it. Yeah. And 10 o'clock Monday mornings, 10 o'clock. Yeah. Three o'clock Tuesday afternoon. I don't care, but you just need to shut the phone off put a piece of paper in front of you or a screen <laughs> and type the word it. 
I mean, just get started. Yeah. And you might sit there the first few times stumped, but eventually, so Google how to write an action plan, whatever it takes to get you started. Yeah. Once you're going, we're going back to writing here, but writing it for me is incredibly difficult. Yeah. I mean, I can have an idea in my head, but when I sit down, try to organize it where A leads to B leads to C, it just winds up being really hard. Yeah. There's, but you just have to go sit in front of the computer and start. Yeah. And then two hours later, you've done it. Yeah. I think with employees, you know, if they're going to be responsible for something and they're going to have an action plan, I encourage you to write the action plan with them. Uh, I think if you just tell them to write the action plan or if you write the action plan yourself, the first way, if you they're doing it, there's not a lot of accountability necessarily there. And then if you're the one that does it, that's not really what they had in mind. It's not how they would approach it. But if you do it together, then, you know, you've taken the time to invest in them and they're going to appreciate that. They're going to see that this matters to you because you've given it time. And then it's going to be written in a way that they're going to want to do it. Yeah, and they so, frequently need to understand the why behind yeah. it. Because otherwise they think they're helping you weave the whip that you're going to use to beat them. <laughs> I mean, seriously, they yeah, do. Yeah. Oh, you're, you're getting ready to fire me. Yeah. No, I'm not. We're trying to build a systemized business that if you're sick with COVID, I can come in here and do payroll. Yeah. Because I don't know how to do it if you don't write <laughs> it down. Right? Exactly. Stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. Well, obviously follow up and review your, pro, your action plan over time, uh, quarterly, monthly, every year, obviously. But these are all, I hope this has inspired our audience to go and look into their financials, into their accomplishments this year, and just take it a little bit more serious and stop what they're doing and not just think about things, but write things down and review their business in a detailed way so that they can improve, so that they can make better decisions and they can fulfill their vision for their company. Um, anything else before we jump off, Martin? No, sir. All right. I gotta go write my action plan. <laughs> well, thanks. It's uh, good to record again. Yep. All right. Thanks for listening to The Cashflow Contractor. Check out our website in the show notes or visit thecashflowcontractor.com.